When we sing about our love for Jesus, that song, for me, reminds me uh, a little bit painfully of the practice of the week that we endeavored upon last week. Uh, I don't know how many of you tried that 48 hours without a particular part of your media diet. Uh, we, last week, if you weren't here, we talked about the seven deadly media addictions that can trap people and ultimately take them to a place they didn't intend to go and even, even start to define their life in triviality or even worse, in, in sin. And, uh, and so we agreed together that a practice, a way of just surfacing, like w- where we're really at, would be to take a 48-hour break from whatever our addiction might be. So I tried two different ones, which is sad, so I had to check multiple boxes last week as well, and some of you told me you, you did too. Um, so the first break I took was from Facebook, which I've got nothing against Facebook, great communication medium, but I would say that in the last 10 years, I've given more of my mind share to Facebook than I should have. And as I look ahead at the next decade, I don't want to repeat that mistake again. So I found that um, project a little bit easier because I just deleted the Facebook app from my phone, which made it kind of harder to log in through Safari or whatever. And, And then whenever I did like whenever I would come upon something on Facebook, I would be on my laptop, and that's when I'm more in work mode. And so I, I found that it actually wasn't that hard to take multiple days off, and I actually like not having the app on my phone, so I haven't reinstalled it. I, maybe I'll just keep that going for a while longer. The other practice I did this week that I found to be a lot harder, and I've heard from a couple of you, you tried this too, and this is like, I don't know why it was so hard for me, but I tried to not look at the news for 48 hours. And man, I mean... It, the news is everywhere. Have you ever noticed that? Like, you, it's really hard to not see the news. And what I realize, it's kind of like when you fast from food and you realize how many times you're opening the refrigerator kind of mindlessly. So I realize how many times I'm typing in a news website before I've even thought about what I'm going to do there. And so literally, the other day, I was, I was getting ready to download that life action video that we looked at earlier and just kind of prep for the things today. And um, and so I was there, and on, my mission in getting on the computer was to go to lifeaction.org and find that video, right? But somehow, when I opened my browser, my finger started typing ABC News. I'm like, what, what am I doing here? I'm like on such autopilot that I'm like literally starting to you know, wonder what's going on out there before I even had given it any conscious thought. So that kind of showed me that, for me, that news cycle, the addiction number four, might be the one I have that's a bigger stronghold in my life. So I'm, I'm going to try to keep that going. And, you know, of course, it's my luck that, like, the week that a bunch of stuff happens is the week that I'm not, you know, so, well, and you know what, that's every week, so I, I'm sure I can catch up later. But it was really healthy for me. I would say I've actually had a lot more time for things that mattered. Uh, I've gotten a lot more done this week than usual. So I, I found that experiment to be really helpful. I've heard from a few of you that you shared in that and thought, thought the same thing. So today, uh, we're going to take things forward and turn a corner. Up until now in the series, you might say we've been a little bit destructive in the sense that we're looking at all the ways that um, over-engaging in tech can be a pitfall for us, can enslave us, can make life difficult. Today, we're going to start pivoting and looking at like what, what, sort of the constructive view. What should we do in a tech-saturated culture? What should we do when we engage online How do we live as a Christian in that environment? And so we'll spend this week and then the next two weeks uh, working through that. And uh, so here's our theme verse that we've been looking at each week just to kind of get our orientation right. Uh, The Apostle Paul wrote, Be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. 
Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. And, and I don't know if you agree with me, but I would say the time in my life when I am at the most danger of being thoughtless is when I'm online, uh, when I'm scrolling, when I'm surfing the internet for no particular reason. That's when thought and intentionality sort of floats out the window, time gets wasted, um, and, then, and then I end up clicking on things. I go, why did I click that? Uh, that certainly doesn't reflect my faith. That's not even who I want to be. And yet here I am like down some rabbit hole somewhere going like, why, why is this happening? And so that's when I arrest those things and break out of those. And that kind of leads us to this other review point I wanted to show you, which we've looked at a few times. And we call this the best test uh, for any activity you engage in, whether it's digital or not. You can kind of run it through these questions rather than starting with the premise of like, wait, wait, what am I allowed to do? You start with a premise of what, what actually is best for my life and for the people around me. And the Apostle Paul models this for us in 1 Corinthians and can kind of land on these four questions. Is this activity best? Does this activity bind, which that's where things become addictions, they become slavery? Uh, does this build? Like, is there some constructive element? And most importantly, does this, whatever it is, bring glory to God? And if we can walk through the things we're doing and think of that best test, it can help steer us in a better direction. So today, as we think about putting our heads up and looking now with intentionality toward the future and saying, Lord, who do you want us to be? Like, we recognize there's a bunch of landmines out there. There always have been, but now they're digital as well as physical, emotional, relational, whatever. Uh, Lord, how do you want us to go forward with confidence? What are we supposed to do? How should we act? And, uh, and so to start that, I want to tell you about a curious Old Testament story from the book of Judges. Uh, Judges is one of those books of the Bible that's filled with blood and guts and action and all sorts of things. And so, so there's, there's lots of battles that are fought and things like that. And there's lots of examples of people who stood up in really dark times and had to demonstrate faith, even though the whole culture that they were in was literally falling apart. And it was as if no one was following God anymore, other than just a few, like a little handful that kind of stuck with it. And, uh, and so here is the story in Judges 7 of Gideon, who was raised up by the Lord to lead the people of Israel to freedom. And they were being oppressed by the Midianites at the time. The Midianites had amassed an army of 150,000 soldiers with which they were going to pursue and subjugate the people of Israel. And Israel had mustered 32,000 soldiers to resist. Say, all right, that doesn't bode well for Israel especially in like ancient warfare, hand-to-hand combat, no tech weapons or whatever. Like 32,000 against 100,000, 150,000 plus, that's, that's, a, that's bad odds if you're, if you're on Israel's side. So Gideon is out there praying like, Lord, we're going to need a miracle here from you for this thing to work. And the Lord says, you know, I think I'm not very happy with the army I see. And so rather than adding to it, I'd like to subtract from it. And if you're Gideon, you're thinking, Lord... I, I was glad to come and start this prayer time with you, but I'm not sure this is going the direction I was hoping. And, uh, and so the Lord wanted to reduce the troops in Gideon's army. And the first thing he told Gideon to do was, if anyone is afraid, just go ahead and send them home. So here, you're in a 32,000-person army standing against an army that is four or five times your size. Do you have any fear in your heart? Maybe a little? Well, if you do, then just go ahead home. We don't need you. <laughs> so, so guess what? 22,000 people left that day. God looks at the army, now remaining around 10,000, 
and says to Gideon, you know, I, I'm not quite happy yet. There's more. He says, go ahead and have the army stop at this particular creek, a river, and get a drink. And at that place, we'll decide who stays in the army and who gets sent home. And so Gideon goes ahead and gives the command. Everybody, you know, take a break, get a drink, refresh yourself. I need to talk to the Lord. So there's two different ways that the soldiers went to the creek bed to get the water. Now you think, it's not like they're carrying plastic cups around with them and their soldier gear. Um, so there's no canteen. So like, how are they going to drink? Like they, they have to get down and just drink the water directly like an animal would, right? So, so 9,700 of the people kind of get down on their knees and lay down and put their face in the water. And, you know, that cool water is running across their sweaty face. I'm sure it's really refreshing. They're sucking in some of the water going, oh, wow, I'm so glad we got a little break from marching. And there are 300 who get down on a knee and scoop up hand, uh, water in their hands and they drink the water like this. And the Lord says to Gideon, those are the people I want in my army. And Gideon's kind of looking around going, Lord, are you sure you didn't like reverse your numbers there, Lord? There's only 300 who are doing it that way. 9,700 laid down. The Lord says, yeah, I want you to send those home. So Gideon now is up against an army of thousands and thousands and thousands of enemies with 300 people left. Say, Lord, what in the world is the strategy here? Now, there's two things I think are interesting about the people who left. Um, two, two aspects of why they were sent home. Okay, the first people didn't have faith. That's why they were afraid. And so God's sort of like, in my army, I, I can't use you. You don't, you don't even believe here. So, so you can go head home. The next group of people are the people who were willing to put their heads down rather than keep their heads up. They were people who were willing to let go, let their guard down, kind of lose situational awareness, and just, you know, get in the river and drink the water. The others, as, as attuned, intentional soldiers, recognize there's always danger around, and so they're, they're pulling the water up like this and kind of maintaining a sense of awareness of their surroundings. Um, they, these were people who both had faith and had intentionality as they were serving as a soldier. And the Lord says, those are the kind of people I want to use for a great victory. Now, a couple other aspects of the story that I think are interesting. Um, why did God reduce the army like this? So let's just pretend that Israel had gone to war with 32,000 people and they had won miraculously the battle against a much larger enemy what would those 32,000 have reported at the end of the battle? Like, you would not believe how awesome we were, right? I mean, like, we killed five guys for every one of us. We were, we were like an invincible force out there. We did something amazing. Now, still, if you had 10,000 people in your army and you go up against 150,000, maybe you could still say that. Like, wow, look at us. Look how powerful we are. We're worth 10 of our enemies. But when you get down to 300 against 150,000, if you win that battle, who gets the credit for that? God does. Because there's no human way that could work. Even more, if you read the story, Gideon sent them into battle without weapons. Instead, it was just a big diversion, and the Midianites ended up killing each other, which was an incredible miracle. God actually fought for them and won this incredible victory that changed Israel's history and set the people free and um, an amazing story. It makes me wonder 
when God is thinking about who he will use for great victories today and the great stories of our time, what kind of hearts is he looking for? And I would suggest it would be those hearts that have faith, that aren't afraid, and those hearts that are intentional, that are willing to recognize that there is no moment when you let your guard down, there is no moment when you rest in the shadows somewhere. You're a soldier, you stay a soldier, you stay focused. So once your head is up, you are not only able to walk in freedom personally, but you're able to engage in the great battle of our time. So, so far, we've just talked about how do we get free from sort of the tech traps that are all around us. That's important. But the reason we want to be free is not just for freedom itself. The reason is because God has given us a mission in this world that's way bigger than you, and you get to be a part of it if you're willing to join God and have faith in him. So look up with me, Ephesians chapter 6 verse 10. Last week, we looked at Ephesians 5, and we saw how in every aspect of our lives, we're to be intentional with our morality, with our use of time, uh, with, the, with what we set before our eyes, because all of those things add up to who we are, and Jesus died to make us a different kind of people. He died to make us holy and to live righteously. And so we learn that, but then we say, okay, it's not just a matter of sort of getting to that spot where you say, now I'm holy. The reason is so that you can engage in the spiritual battle that's all around you. And that's what Paul wrote at the very end of Ephesians. He said a final word, verse 10, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. What we talked about last week, would you say that there are some good strategies of the devil that he's playing out in front of us? Absolutely. There's all sorts of ways people are getting tripped up and distracted and set on the sidelines today, um, sometimes because of direct sin, sometimes because of small compromise, sometimes because of just distraction into silly things, and they literally get taken out of the battle and can do no good for God on the battlefield. He says, for we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against the evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against the mighty powers in this dark world, against evil spirits in heavenly places. So if you're afraid of that, you can go home. But if you're willing to say, you know what, I have faith in God, that, that he is more powerful no matter what the enemy will array against us, then you can proceed. And you go to the next step. You get into the intentionality, verse 13. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so that you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will still be standing firm. Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes, put on the good news, the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. In addition to all these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. And put on the salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And you could imagine this spiritual armor being so important in any part of your life, but now imagine yourselves marching into a digital space with that armor on. You say, to, to resist the temptations that are there, to not fall into the traps that are there, to not become addicted like everyone else. Like, I'm going to need some armor, I'm going to need God's help to be able to go and stand firm and even better than stand firm, start marching forward. Look at verse 18. He says, Pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert 
and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. And then he gets really personal. He says, pray also for me. Ask God to give me the right words so that I can boldly explain God's mysterious plan that the good news is for Jews and Gentiles alike. I am in chains now, still preaching this message as God's ambassador. So pray that I will keep on speaking boldly for him as I should. Now, something that happens, I think fairly frequently, at least I I hear it uh, sometimes in Christian circles, I hear it on the news sometimes, where people will make a comment like, this is the worst time in history for fill-in-the-blank sin. This is the darkest moment. Um, And I I understand what people reference when they're saying that, kind of the emotion behind that. But I always wonder, like, is that factually true? Are we really in the darkest, worst of moments? Or or have have there been a whole bunch of other moments that were also really dark and terrible as well? Um, So I was researching that, just thinking that through a little bit, and came across an article from the American Family Association writing about the cultural battle and, uh, and I thought this was really an interesting perspective. He said, It is hard for us to comprehend the spiritual state of the world when Jesus came. Other than Israel and a few scattered Jewish communities, everywhere one traveled, from one end of the earth to the other, there was only idolatry, false religion, and spiritual darkness. There was not a single lamp lit by biblical truth. There was no temple other than those occupied by demons. There were no priests or priestesses other than those who had counseled people away from the one true God. The moment that Jesus came to Bethlehem, there were just a tiny few remaining enclaves of faith. Otherwise, the entire world was dark. So if you go like, yeah, we're living in tough times, sure, but that's a different story. Like we can look around and there's resources and good people and friends and things like life actions all over the place, right? But there have been times when none of those resources existed and all people had to hold on to was God's word in front of them, the Holy Spirit within them, and their courage to stand up in faith. And so into that deep darkness of the world long ago, Jesus came and here's what Jesus said, very beginning of his ministry. He said, repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. And you might look at a world where no one is following God and go, the kingdom of heaven is not near. Like, it seems really far away. But why was the kingdom of heaven near? Because Jesus had shown up, right? The closer they got to Jesus, like the closer they were to the kingdom. And so when they saw his light shining in the darkness... The kingdom is near. Like now it's time to repent. Now it's time to turn because everything about darkness changes when light shows up. So today, we could look at it this way. The kingdom of heaven is near to this dark world because Jesus' ambassadors, his soldiers, are in it. That's you. That's me. So we can't look at the world around us and shrink back. And be afraid and say, I've, just, I've got to pull out like anything that's even close to the world. I've got to get away from it. It's going to pollute me. No, instead, we, we're forging into dark places as ambassadors, as soldiers of light. And so when we think about the digital space, we say, you know, there's a lot of darkness that's there. It's not really that it's darker than anybody's actual heart would be. It's just that in the digital space, people let their inhibitions down and like the darkness is just celebrated there. So you go, yeah, we've got to forge into places like that with the light of Christ, with the same courage that that first generation of believers went out into a world where nobody was following Jesus and started to share the gospel. 
So another way that you could process this and think about it would be to ask yourself some questions like this. Is the kingdom, like the kingdom of heaven, the glory of God, is it near your neighborhood right now? Well, I would say if you're there, then yeah, that's the idea. You're an ambassador of light in that place. Uh, Is the kingdom near to your school? You say, well, Dan, I I go to public school. It's not Christian. No, that's that's not really the question. A Christian school, a public school, homeschool could all be equally far from God. The question is, is there, is there a light shining in that place? Are you shining in that place? Uh, is the kingdom near your, your clubs or your teams or your workplace? So is the kingdom near our government? Well, to the extent that there are soldiers of light who are in it, then yes. Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is near. It's not because everybody was following Jesus. It's because he was there. And as long as we're there, we're called to be his ambassadors, uh, sending in light. And so then we can ask this question, is the kingdom near your online communities? If you do boot up Facebook, can you find the kingdom there? Well, when you're there, yes. Um, is Is there any kingdom on Twitter? Sure. Is there kingdom in the... In the news comments, which is really hard to believe, but yes, if you're there, I mean, a- anywhere where people gather, if, if you stand not as a participant, not as a consumer, but instead as a soldier, then yes, the light can shine there as well. Might sum up by saying it this way, any sphere you enter as a soldier of Christ can be lit up by the kingdom. So when we look forward now, we start saying, okay, Obviously, there are some pitfalls where I could actually become a casualty of this war because if I let my guard down, I might get overwhelmed with the temptations and the sins and whatever else. So we need a defensive strategy on one side, but you don't win a battle on defense. At best, you hold things back. You have to go on offense. And when I look at our world that we're living in and all the darkness that's around us, and then when you fire up your computer and go, wow, it really is darker than I expected. The only path forward is to go on offense. Defense is a losing game. And so we have to look at it on both sides and say, well, there is an element of defense I need, like some of that armament that God gives me, like the body armor and the helmet. Those are defensive things, the shield of faith. That keeps me from getting swept up by the tide. But I have to be marching forward and standing firm, recognize there has to be a mission to this, or else we're just going to end up waiting in the corner while the world goes off the wrong direction. So how do we balance protection with forward motion? That's what we'll discuss in the next two weeks. Uh, We'll walk through on both sides of that equation. How do you best protect your purity, your family, your vision, um, your, your time, but also at the same time, how do you very proactively engage in the places where people desperately need light? They desperately need the gospel They desperately need hope. This week, our practice, I think, is going to be a lot of fun. I promised that last week, and maybe some of you had more fun than others. I don't know. But but here's what we get to do this week. Um, Anytime your device lights up, so you flip it over and it turns on, or you push the button, your TV starts to fire up. Every time your screen lights up this week, ask God, how can I be an agent of your light in the interaction I'm about to have. Now, here's what will be exciting about this, is there, there might be a thousand answers to that question. I don't know how God will answer 
But I do know that asking that question when our phones light up is going to do something really important. It's going to make us intentional about what happens next. So we're not laying at the riverbank, lapping in the water, forgetting about all the dangers around us. Instead, we're walking in on purpose, going, all right, I'm going to open up my phone now. I'm going to look at my iPad now. I'm going to turn on my TV now. But I'm here in this space as an agent of light, as a soldier for Christ, not as a consumer, not as just sort of a, a passive observer. I'm walking in here with a reason. So I'm just kind of dreaming it out a little bit, going, well, what might that look like? These are just some ideas to kind of maybe spark some thinking on how you could practice this practice. So your screen lights up and you say, well, maybe you're about to make a phone call. That's why your screen lit up. So offer to pray with the person you're calling. Or text an encouraging verse to a friend or post a spiritual question or idea on social media. Or leave comments of encouragement for someone that you wouldn't normally pay attention to or even care about. Uh, Pray about the news that you see rather than just watching it. Uh, Seek an opportunity to give to or to love someone that, you know, maybe you wouldn't even run into them, but you see them online there, you see a need, and you think, you know what, I I could step in and make a difference here. Because when you enter that space with intentionality, you're armored up and you're walking in going, light needs to come into this darkness well, suddenly you have a mission as you turn on your device. All right, so a, a little bit of encouragement then, a charge as we go. First of all, don't go in as a consumer to be served. Go in as a soldier on a mission. Now, here's what's fun. This will totally fake out the advertisers who are all trying to get our attention, right? Because they have no idea people might be looking at their stuff, not as a consumer to be served, but actually on a mission for something good. Uh, don't go in expecting comfort. Instead, go in expecting combat. You're going into a dark place. You're going into a place where people are you, you are, you can find the worst of the worst, and you can find temptations all over the place, and you do find people who are hurting and broken. So go in, not to be comforted by all of that, but rather to engage with it. Uh, don't go in looking for likes. Go in as an agent of God's love. Just see how that changes your engagement. But don't go in with your guard down. Go in with your armor on. Last word here from the book of Judges. The scripture says only 300 of the men drank from their hands. All the others got down on their knees and drank with their mouths in the stream. The Lord told Gideon, with these 300 men, I will rescue you and give you victory over the Midianites. Send all the others home. So I wonder if this week, if you would be willing to join that 300, that together we could put our heads up and walk forward on purpose, see what God wants to do with us as we share and shine his light. Let's pray and ask for his help. Lord, we know that all around us there are people in great need of hope, of help, of the gospel. Um, Lord, we know that we've been called to shine your light after the pattern in which Jesus shined light into a dark world. He was the light of the world, and now we get to be lights to the world. Lord, as we venture into our schools and our workplaces, our neighborhoods, of course we pray that we could shine light brightly. But this week in particular, we pray that in the digital space we could be intentional soldiers, not letting our guard down, but instead taking up arms to do the good fight to serve and share where perhaps no one else would be willing to do so. I pray, Lord, that you would protect us from the strategies of the devil, 
that you would help us to have the right amount of defense, the right amount of armament around us, but that we would never rest or shrink back from the challenge, but rather go forward in boldness to a world in great need. We look forward to doing that. And Lord, we pray as we seek to practice this so simply this week, that you would call to mind this challenge every time a device lights up in front of us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, God bless you all. We'll see you next week.